What's up? This is the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Welcome back to a new season of the show. We're taking a new approach to the podcast, this time broadcasting not just audio, but video as well. So if you're tuning in via Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thank you. And just to let you know, you can watch what you're hearing on our YouTube channel. Just head over to YouTube and search for Electric Runway because sometimes you have to see it to believe it when it comes to innovation in fashion and beauty. Of course, you're going to still be able to follow along with the show um, on audio only, but we're giving this as an option so that you can see examples of um, all the different innovations that we're talking about. So let's get right into it. During the pandemic, retailers and brands had to transition quickly to digital to continue to do business. And of course, the fashion industry was no exception. A number of brands like Puma and retailers like Selfridges experimented with virtual showrooms, which are defined by Shopify as, quote, an innovative solution that lets brands and retail buyers engage and sell products through an online platform. They replace physical showrooms and trade shows, eliminating the need for a physical location and physical samples to show new collections. Now, it's important to note that virtual showrooms aren't just about virtual reality. You don't have to strap on a VR headset in order to access them, but they are changing e-commerce and online shopping as we know it via web and mobile-based experiences. And here to talk more about this with me today is Olga Dajavina. She's the founder and CEO of Imperia VR, a company that's bringing the qualities of online gaming to shopping. In today's episode, we'll talk about what it's like to build online spaces for fashion, and she'll tell us more about her company's recent $10 million raise. It's a fascinating episode, and it starts right now. Olga, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining. So you are the founder of Imperia VR. For those who don't know, what is Imperia VR? So we are an immersive commerce platform and we help brands build their virtual environments that uh, integrate into their e-commerce channels to help them boost conversions and customer engagement and effectively transitioning them from web two to web three in the future of e-commerce. Now, I first heard about Imperia during the pandemic. Is that when the company was born or how long have you been going at this? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much right. So we started in the end of 2019 and we were quite lucky with timing indeed as uh, the pandemic started and everyone suddenly needed everything virtual. Uh, and then, of course, the metaverse wave of last year. So, um, yeah, we've effectively started from early 2020. That's when we got our product to market. So you were already thinking about virtual showrooms and then the pandemic happened and that sort of accelerated the interest and the appetite for them. Um, when we say virtual showrooms, I want to clarify for listeners, we're not just talking about strapping on a VR headset and entering a virtual space. It's uh, also accessible via web. Maybe you can speak to a little bit about the different ways that people can access your experiences. Yes, of course. So the virtual experiences in themselves are 3D environments, but they don't have to be accessed through the headset. In fact, actually less than 5% of all our traffic comes from headsets, of course, because most people just simply don't have them. Um, and that's why for us, it was super important to make sure that uh, the virtual environment is accessible from any device, whether it's desktop, mobile, and the type of traffic split that we would see is actually very similar to traditional e-commerce where most users would come from their mobile devices uh, and discover virtual spaces in a kind of 360 degree navigation format. Right, and so you make these virtual spaces for fashion and retail clients, which tell me about the different verticals that Imperia is involved in. Yes, of course. So luxury and fashion are you know, our core um, 
core client base comes from there where we work with the likes of Dior, Bloomingdale's, Ralph Lauren, plenty of other brands. Uh, but we also work within the art sector and art galleries and the likes of Christie's, uh, wider retail verticals, so pretty much everything from consumer packaged goods all the way to uh, you know, hospitality and entertainment. So pretty much anything that you can sell online, uh, you should be able to sell through Imperial. And the idea is, is that e-commerce has been static in a way for a very long time. So you go to a web page, you see different web products, and of course, like the imagery has gotten more sophisticated with uh, 3D imagery where you can spin a product, for an example. But in terms of actually the way you experience retail, uh, that is really the kind of problem that you're addressing or what you're disrupting, I should say. Do I have that right? Yeah, you got it completely right. I guess I'm going to give you a bit of a background on where this whole idea came from in the first place. So my own background is in fashion and retail, and that's where I spent more than six years, first in retail, then in wholesale, then eventually in e-commerce, working with the likes of Coach, Michael Kors, Valentino, plenty of others. And what I consistently saw throughout my career was how much all of those brands hated e-commerce. And the main reason for that was because, you know, if you come to a store and imagine you go into like a supermarket versus Louis Vuitton versus Zara, you will never confuse the three. They will always be different and you'll know which brand you've entered because it's all about the experience, the layout, the customer service. But online, it's always this white page with a list of products. It doesn't matter what you're shopping for. It looks the same. And as a consumer going through 20 pages of shirts or dresses, you're like, I never want to see another one ever again in my life. Um, and that's what I was experiencing in the fashion industry where brands were really frustrated with it. And I then worked as a consultant with Microsoft uh, back in 2018, where I got to try VR, which was super rudimentary at that point. You know, massive headset, lots of cables. Was um, it the HoloLens at that time? It was the HoloLens, which, you know, the, the field of view on that was just kind of about this narrow, really, really yeah. tiny, and, um, and lots of cables on, on the kind of proper VR headsets. And that's where I thought if we took this and made it sleeker and maybe removed the necessity for the massive hardware, wouldn't it be great to just sit in the car with your nice glass of wine and enjoy a beautiful shopping experience? And I thought consumers would love it because it's more fun, more engaging, you get to learn more about what you're buying into. And brands would love it because they can actually create the type of experience that they do in store and even better because there's no real limits to creativity and how far they can go when it comes to trading. Yeah, so for an example, if you're shopping for ski gear, you could actually be on a ski hill. If you're shopping for, um, you know, a French handbag, you could be at a patisserie in France. Like there's no, as, as you were saying, there's no limit to what type, type of experience you could create. And you could even create a totally otherworldly experience, like shopping in a cave or um, anything. So that part of it is really exciting. Um, however, I'm wondering about the kind of... Uh, conviction or the hand-holding that you have to do for brands when you're saying, now you've put all this um, effort into your e-commerce website, now um, we're encouraging you to engage in the metaverse or engage in a 3D experience. Are brands excited about this? Are they reluctant like they were with e-commerce? Um, how are you finding the response has been from clients and potential clients? Yeah, they are very much excited about that because of the main reason is this problem of, you know, e-commerce is not differentiated. It's hard to engage consumers. It's hard to bring new consumers and familiarize them with the brand. Because of that reason, they're very excited to dive into metaverse technologies. And I think that was the main thing why metaverse last year was such a boom for retail, uh, because that was something that they've been waiting for. And also they've been, you know, engaged with social media for quite some time, but we're quite late 
to get into it. So with anything new now, they're like, we missed out last time. I totally feel that. I totally feel that. I feel like with the dot-com boom and with social media, fashion brands were late and they were like, exactly like you said earlier, why do I need a website? Why do I need this? How is it going to portray the brand experience? And it seems like more brands are much more eager to try these new emerging technologies like you know, 3D, like augmented reality and so on. And I think you're exactly right that it's because they missed out um, from being so slow before. And so maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe there's a new generation of uh, marketers and brand managers at the helm. And so uh, they're actually allowing for these type of experiences to happen and uh, willing to experiment, right? Because I feel like that's the name of the game with Web3 is all about experimentation. Um, so you've experimented with a number of brands, so uh, Pinko, Bloomingdale's, some of the ones that you mentioned, Dior. Can you tell us about uh, the type of client that you've worked with in the fashion and retail category? And I know that you have a Lacoste experience that you want to take us through for those who are watching the podcast um, on YouTube. So uh, yeah, tell us about your clients. Yeah, of course. So a lot of our clients are coming from luxury and fashion industry, and we have a lot of beauty clients as well. Um, so those can range from yeah, the likes of Dior Beauties, Harrods, Bloomingdale's, Ralph Lauren, um, just to name a few of the bigger names. And for majority of those brands, it is three core pillars that we're looking at when we're creating the experience. First of all, of course, it needs to reflect the brand, but that's kind of touching more on the visual aspect of it. But if we're looking at the types of metrics and statistics that we are bringing and the data that the brand's looking to get out of it, um, it is very focused on engagement rates and conversion data. So just to give you kind of examples of the performances of those experiences and what brands are looking to achieve from it. So what we're able to drive from a virtual experience is an average of 14 minutes of engagement time that a person would spend in a virtual store. Wow. If, you can, if you compare it to a normal website, that's like 7x um, compared to a regular .com. Yeah, you're lucky if you can get someone to spend uh, 30 seconds on your web page. So the fact that it's exactly. uh, 14 minutes, that's incredible. And we're seeing a similar effect with conversion rates. So we would typically see about 73% uplift on conversion rates compared to their regular e-commerce channel for those particular products that they're displaying within the virtual store. I have um, to ask though, how does someone buy a beauty product in a virtual store? Like, is there, is it just the a matter of seeing the experience then being convinced? Like, is there a try-on component? How does beauty work? So we do integrate virtual try-on uh, for some of our clients. And for that, we work with partners and we're building a platform solution where we can integrate multiple components of kind of immersive commerce world. Um, but when it comes to beauty per se, a lot, and that's what consumers often don't realize, a lot of what comes into a purchase is beyond the actual product that you're buying. Totally. You're buying into the brand, the story, the ingredients, the learning about it, there's so much more that has to happen for you to choose that you need to buy this face cream or you need to buy this lipstick. Yeah, maybe you got influenced. Cream. Maybe you got exactly. influenced to buy it. <laughs> that's how I end up buying all my beauty products. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, there's, there's people that you see wearing it. There's also environments and all the other things that stores actively do to encourage you to buy those things. Um, and that's pretty much exactly what we do within virtual stores. The same comes with visual merchandising as well. So say if you're in a home goods store and you're seeing a couch with a blanket draped over it and, and pillows and lamps, you kind of want to buy the whole set. Versus online, you're just looking at a picture of a couch, you're buying just the couch, and you're not quite as satisfied with it because it's not styled well, but also the brand can't sell all the extra items to you that you would have bought if you've seen it styled together. Um, so it's bringing this power of visual merchandising into online sales too. 
Yeah, that's an excellent way of putting it. It's like digital visual merchandising. I love that. Um, and before we go into the Lacoste experience, something different that you offer to marketers and brand managers is this uh, Artemides. Am I saying that properly? Artemis? Artemis, yeah, that's right. The Artemis app. And this is actually uh, a kind of like control center, if I understand it correctly, where brands themselves can change things about the experience. They don't necessarily need to wait for your engineers to update things. Um, do I have that right? Yeah, that's completely right. And I guess where you know the idea for that is coming from, if we think about building VR and how traditionally, I mean, traditionally over the past seven years or so that VR existed as a, as a consumer technology, people were building it. Um, you know, every time a brand would want to create an experience, it would be a very short-lived thing because they would need to go to developer or an agency that would create it. It's a lot of technical effort. And every time they want to update something, they need to go back and do the separate again which made, made sense in a marketing concept, but now that we're seeing virtual stores really becoming part of the brand's integrated long-term strategy and more of a digital flagship, it is really cumbersome to do so. Hmm. So what we built with Artemis is the functionality that allows the brand to go in and update all their products, descriptions, visual merchandising, um, some store components as well, and kind of visual elements of the environment and the content completely themselves without any technical knowledge. So it's all entirely drag and drop. They can run it from any desktop device. Uh, and effectively, anyone in the company can have that control themselves without keeping coming back to us. So if something goes out of stock, they can update it very quickly. It also connects directly to the existing backend of their e-commerce platform, which pulls all the existing product data, whether it's availability, pricing, um, stock and sizing and all this kind of stuff where they don't actually have to refill anything and you know, manually update any of the, the data that just gets pulled into the platform. So the e-commerce, traditional e-commerce site and the Web3 experience through Imperia are talking to one another essentially and then Artemis is like the control center. Very much so. Um, okay. And when it comes to talking between the website and the experience, the same happens at checkout. So if you want to go ahead and add anything to cart from the experience, it's going to go to the same cart as everything else on their website. So it's not an alien checkout experience and we're not making brands kind of reinvent the wheel there, but it's more of a very seamless omni-channel transition from one to another. It's v-commerce, totally integrated. I love that. Well, I think we're ready to see your Lacoste experience. I've played around with your Bloomingdale's experience that you were able to um, create in celebration of the brands. Was it their 50th anniversary? Um, yeah, it was around 50 years, and then we had a very large experience with them over the holidays. The holidays, where, yeah. Yeah, yeah. where they had, I think we had 12 rooms in total that we, they were opening gradually from October until the end of December. That was really fun, and I'll just um, talk as you're pulling up the experience, but I was at a department store recently in, in Toronto, Canada, and it was the Bay, and I was walking around the women's wear section, and it was so empty, and I was just thinking, like, these companies really need to innovate. Like there needs to be something because there was just rows and rows of like evening wear. I don't even think anyone's buying even evening wear right now. And it just seems so stale and static. There were, there were definitely men in the men's section, but um, I really got the sense when I was in the women's section that like something needs to change here. <laughs> Um, so for those who can't see, we're now looking at the Lacoste virtual shop and it's kind of a green background and you click to enter. Um, it looks like a game and that makes sense because your co-founder is actually very heavily involved in gaming. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's right. So Simon, my co-founder, is coming from um, gaming development and VR development background. So that's where we kind of combine my retail experience and his background in um, actual technology development to build the platform. So we have these videos that are kind of on the side walls of the showroom. Is this content that Lacoste had to develop specifically for this experience or did they have it already like on their social media? No, so it's just part of their social campaign and uh, the seasonal campaign for Christmas. So the whole concept of this experience is you are inside of the crocodile. So we effectively entered through oh. the mouth of the crocodile into the world of Lacoste. Um, and the very big point for this was to slightly reinvent the brand of Lacoste where they're now targeting much younger audience. The collections are so much cooler uh, and we are bringing all that aspect of um, branding and carrying on the story of what they were creating in store into this digital native format but without recreating what they actually have in store. Yeah, so this is very cool. Um, so yeah, and what was done here is like, so they, these stickers were used all around their stores, their displays and visual merchandising. They kind of brought it into the design, but in a more fresh, different, innovative format. Um, the other part of this experience, so this is fully integrated with Lacoste um, e-commerce platform. So from clicking on any product, um, I can add it to cart, choose what size I want to go with, and just kind of proceed straight away with buying it directly from here. So it is a very seamless experience for the brand to navigate um, and for the consumer to, to get into ads cards and things like that. The experience itself comprised of three different parts. Um, so the first one was very much dedicated towards uh, the Christmas collection and now it's being updated with the new January collection. And the second part is much more about Lacoste classics. So this part of the experience is actually rooted in the kind of history of Lacoste uh, being a tennis court. Uh, it's not a very simple tennis court. It's an upside down tennis court. So because we are in a virtual environment, we don't have to follow the rules of what's physical. And you can actually walk on walls, completely change your perspective, and just explore things from kind of different dimensions, the way that you would never be able to do in the physical world. All the products here are shoppable, and they've also built in, um, as well through the platform and our partners, a token-gated room where um, holders of Lacoste NFTs called Underwater could enter into this room that was only available specifically for them, and they could get prizes and exclusive products specifically for them. I don't unfortunately have a Lacoste token, so I can't get into <laughs> it, but um, there's no real limitations on, on to virtual stores when it comes to user segmentation, VIP experiences, and those type of exclusive brand moments that they're bringing into it. Yeah, and how important is the fidelity of the actual garments and accessories that you're showing? Like, where did you get these images from? Are they from the website? Did you have to scan things yourselves? Like, where does all of this um, virtual product come from? Yeah, so in the case of Lacoste, they opted for using 3D models of the product, and that's something that they would do at the design stage. Um, alternatively, we can also support with creating 3D models and 3D assets of the product. And that is super useful in the cases like Lacoste, where you have a lot of styles that are consistent. So your actual style stays the same, but then the colors change over seasons or there's new prints that are introduced. Um, and that's where 3D modeling is a very cost-efficient way to do this. And also for brands that want to introduce NFTs or any type of digital tokenization, 3D modeling is also great for that. 
Um, the other option for this, and that's something that we make available through Artemis, is to use 360 videos instead of 3D models for the product. So that's effectively a turntable recording of a product. Any photographer can do that. That technology has been available for e-commerce for the past 10 years or so, maybe even more. Uh, and it looks just as good as a 3D model, but is a simpler process to create if the brand doesn't want to venture out into 3D modeling per se. Interesting. Yeah, it's a very cool experience for those, um, again, who aren't uh, watching. They can head to Electric Runway's YouTube channel to check it out. But it's uh, we're definitely inside an alligator and it's got that tennis court vibes. Um, and you said the average person spends about 14 minutes in these experiences, uh, maybe even longer if they're an NFT holder and they can get to that uh, gated room. Yeah, so that's exactly what we saw here with Lacoste. So we saw an average engagement time of over 11 minutes here and, and longer than that when it came to users that could get into room three, um, which was token gated. And a similar impact on, on conversion rates and something that was very important for Lacoste is bringing in Gen Z audiences. And that's something that we definitely achieved here. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like an obvious question to ask, but how important is gaming uh, influencing the future of retail? Because like I said, when you first brought me in, it feels like a game. And you said your co-founder has a background in gaming. Um, are we just, is, is like the future of even physical retail going to be these uh, gamified experiences? I think gamification is definitely important. It slightly depends on the brand and what they're trying to achieve with it. Say, you know, with the cost of this experience, the target audience was definitely younger than we would see, say, for the likes of Ralph Lauren or Dior. Um, and that's where the younger the audience, the more gamified the experience itself becomes. But at the same time, something that we're seeing super popular with other experiences, that's something that Bloomingdale's implemented as well, um, is gamification within the experience where you need to either collect sort of an Easter egg type of hunt experience um, or branded mini games like a Flappy Bird or um, Angry Birds or something like that, where you can actually engage with branded assets and win prizes or discount codes or unlock additional content that is exclusive to, uh, to those people playing the game. So it's definitely something that keeps you engaged with the brand for longer and also creates memorabilia of you've actually done this experience and that's what you've been part of. That's so interesting. Um, well, thank you so much for showing me the experience. I want to um, wrap up by talking about your funding journey because you just made a really exciting announcement that Imperia VR has raised $10 million. Um, can you tell us about where the funding came from and um, the value that these investors are seeing in backing a platform such as yours? Yes, of course. It's It's been an exciting journey indeed. And um, the round itself was led by Base Ten Partners, uh, which is a San Francisco fund. They've also invented, invested in the likes of Attentive, Figma, and, and plenty of others. Um, and also joined by Daphne, which is a French fund, uh, Sony Innovation Fund, and Stanford Graduate Business School. So we've got some very exciting investors there. Um, and for them, it was very much about what is that next iteration of retail look like? Um, and for us, you know, with the platform in the future that we're seeing for Imperia, we're building effectively the next Shopify. So a place where someone can go in, create their virtual store and effectively use this instead of their actual website and drive all that meaningful traffic, revenue and value that the brands are seeing through it. Um, so I think that was a very core aspect. Uh, and the other part of it is that we effectively created automation through the whole steps of the process. You don't need to go to an agency and you don't need to um, involve developers to create and maintain virtual stores, which is the simple ease of use of it. 
Um, and yeah, like with, with this round, what we're really aiming to do is scale globally. We're already a global team. We are um, headquartered in both New York and London, but also have people in 16 different countries. I have always been remote. So it's really about building that scale, uh, reaching new verticals, new industries within retail, um, and a general expansion of our product and product offering. Now, one of the things that people love about Shopify is that you don't have to be a Lacoste in order to start, right? It's uh, very accessible for smaller businesses. With Imperia VR, do you have different pricing tiers or is it only for those bigger brands? Can a smaller brand create something of a virtual showroom as you're suggesting maybe instead of an e-commerce website or use the virtual showroom as their main point of sale? Um, is it accessible to them to do so? Um, so within our go-to-market with Ferguson Enterprise uh, at the moment, when we did start, we had a wide array of brands from the ones that were literally just starting out and uh, spending a couple thousand a year on a virtual store um, all the way to larger enterprise brands. Since then, we have shifted more towards enterprise with our strategy and our go-to-market strategy, uh, but we do definitely see expansion into more of an SMB segment later down the line. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing it with me. Um, I'm very excited. How can people follow Imperia and stay in touch? Uh, we are on LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, on Twitter. So we're, I believe we're called Imperia VR across all those platforms. Um, so yeah. Okay, great. I will put the links in the show notes in case people want to stay in touch. Olga, thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot, Amanda. Absolute pleasure. So that's it for today's episode of the Electric Runway podcast. Let me know what you think of the new format in the comments below. If you want to stay in touch, the best way to do that is on social media. You can tweet or tag at electric underscore runway on Twitter and Instagram. You can also email me. I'm Amanda at electricrunway.com. And don't forget to sign up for our email newsletter. That's where we round up the most salient stories at the intersection of fashion and tech. The link will be in the description or you can sign up on electricrunway.com. That's it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you in the future.